1: Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 360 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Today's episode is brought to you by my brand new course, Lead a Better Team. You can get access and learn how to get real results from your team, transform your team culture, and see your employees deeply engage Go to leadabetterteam.com and buy Belay. You can text my name, Carrie, C A R E Y, to 31996 to get your free download of Things to Delegate to save 15 hours this week. So, uh, speaking of Belay, I'm so excited to have Brian Miles back on the podcast. Brian has become a good personal friend, and we're going to talk about how to lead virtual and hybrid teams why your team probably won't want to come back to the office. Do you know that Google just announced that until summer 2021, employees don't have to return and how to motivate your staff. Brian's an expert in that. And I've learned so much from him. And his wife Shannon. He has been leading virtual teams for over a decade. He shares the best practices for leading virtual teams in this interview, and a little more about Brian. Brian's a successful entrepreneur, husband, father, backpacker, mountain climber, mentor, and writer. He is the co-chair and co-founder of Belay, and uh, Belay is actually a virtual staffing company, a premier company. Uh, they have generated over a hundred million in revenue since their beginning. They do not have an office. And uh, they've graced the Inc. 5000 list six times. And they have been awarded the number one spot in Entrepreneur Magazine's Best Company Culture and has been featured in many top media outlets over the years. In addition to that, they own a couple of other businesses too, including Own Not Run. So you're going to learn an awful lot from Brian. I have learned loads from him. And I wanted to bring him back on to talk about Teams because... We're all leading virtual teams in one way or another. And as you probably may have heard me say before, hey, that is the future. And it just arrived a lot sooner than any of us thought. And that's why I'm launching my brand new course. So it's called Lead a Better Team. And I'm very excited about it. So in this course, I I bring you everything I know about how to create a positive team culture. You know, I believe people don't quit jobs they quit bosses and they quit cultures so how do you create a great team culture uh, I show you exactly how to do that in about uh, a third of the time of any other resource that I've read how to boost the productivity of your team your team is even more important a lot of you right now are like these these guys aren't wired to do what we're doing right now we can't get back into our buildings well how do you boost performance um, how to hold people accountable something honestly church leaders we are terrible at. And how to not micromanage but still get results because, you know, I default to micromanagement when I'm not healthy. How to create a workflow system that works for remote team members. How to completely transform your one-on-one meetings. This is all in Lead a Better Team. How to create a clear filter to determine which team members can work from home and who needs to be in the office when things are back to normal. And how to lower your employee turnover. Do you know how expensive that is? So whether you lead five people, 50 people, or 500 I'd love to have you enroll in Lead a Better Team to help you get better results, transform your team culture, and see your employees engage far more deeply. You can get it now at leadabetterteam.com. It is at introductory prices. And what I'm thinking about, I'm going to talk about how to get your team to crush their goals. That's at the end of this podcast. And today's podcast is also brought to you by Belay. So let's talk about time. Uh, Every leader I talk to says, I've never worked harder. I've never been more tired. Well, what if you could save an extra 15 hours this week? Like, yeah, if you're listening to this, like by this time next week, you've saved 15 hours. So uh, I want you to think of five tasks you can delegate, maybe email, scheduling, book travel. Uh, If you have travel, planning meetings, expense reporting. Delegation sounds scary to a lot of leaders, but it can be transformative. So our friends at Belay, Brian's company, are offering a free download of things to delegate to save 15 hours this week. Uh, They are revolutionizing productivity with their virtual assistant bookkeeping and social media strategy services for churches, not-for-profits, and business alike. People like Damon John use Belay, and so do I. So you can text Carrie, C-A-R-E-Y to 31996 to get your free download of Things to Delegate to save 15 hours this week. It's absolutely free and you can get that today. Well, I am so excited to have Brian Miles back. And by the way, as we jump into this interview, Thank you so much. We just had the best month we've ever had on the podcast. 373,000 downloads last month in July. Guys, that's crazy. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for getting the word out. And without further ado, my conversation with Brian Miles. Brian, welcome back. It's so good to have you. And uh, I always love catching up with you. And it's good to catch up publicly once in a while too.
0: It's so good to be here, Kerry. I'm I love our conversations.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They're always rich. They're always real. And uh, you have the honor of being my last in-person trip. Uh, I have not traveled that's in months. Right. And it was actually in that room where I stayed, where you're recording this, for those of you who are watching on YouTube. Uh, that's the guest room slash office at the Miles I, home.
0: Murphy bed is right behind me in that wall. So that's too cool. Uh, that's right. We. I remember us going on a run and joking about like, what's this COVID thing?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like, you think it's going to be a thing? And then the world just like, plane landed the next day and it was, it was over. I think that so.
0: was a Tuesday morning that we were like, I don't know. You know, we did a workout and then it was like Thursday, the world had come to a complete stop.
1: Ah, that's a week we'll be talking about a decade from now, right? Where were you when? And, uh, so I was with the Mileses, which was awesome. <laughs> and uh, and it was a great conversation. But, you know, you own multiple businesses. And uh, I would love just to start with uh, talking about you because we're going to talk a lot about virtual businesses and virtual teams. But you kind of were a pioneer in that area. And so what did the crisis of 2020 teach you about running a business? Not just a remote business, but a, a business period. Because this has been like, you know, a neck breaker for so many organizations, churches, small businesses, restaurants. You own a restaurant, well, so to speak, yeah. a brewery. Yeah. Um, so what does this teach you about running a business, Brian?
0: Well, I've, both my wife and I have been very fortunate to find great people that lead those businesses. Um, but I would tell you one of the things I learned through witnessing how we operated against what we saw other businesses operate is that we chose to cut quick and fast and um really be brutally honest with what we thought we were going to be up against um and we didn't wait and go well maybe it might there was none of that it was just let's cut quick and do that um and I'm really happy with that decision now a quarter later uh, because it enabled us to course correct in our businesses the things where we felt like we would have a material impact mm-hmm. um whereas I saw other businesses that kind of did a death by a thousand cuts And what we did is we just took a day and we brought the hammer down and we just said, you know, here's what needs to happen. Here's the things we need to see in this business or businesses. And our teams and our leaders did an incredible job to kind of see that because they realized that there might be a lot at stake. Now, you know, 90 days later, the impact to our businesses, fortunately, hasn't been as significant as what we thought but I'm, um, I saw the businesses that waited and how they kind of were just very painful and how they navigated that. And some didn't have budgets. I mean, we were with some small businesses that didn't have budgets. So they didn't even know where their money was to begin with. Hmm. I, think it, I think it exposed a lot of, um, you know, the underbelly of a lot of businesses that weren't planning or didn't have a tight grip on their finance. Um, but that was one thing I was just really incredibly proud of with our teams is they cut quick, they cut decisively. They communicated well. They over communicated in some cases, and um, you know, fortunately for us, we didn't lose anybody. We kept everybody on our team. So uh, no, you didn't
1: cut staff necessarily. That wasn't we did our first cut
0: um, of our all. We kept every single W two employee of ours across our companies, and in some cases, that was incredibly expensive to do that. But it was the right thing to do, and I'm really, I'm super happy with that. We also. Um, you know, PPP, which, you know, in the States was offered for, um, you know, the payroll protection stuff. Mm-hmm. We took that in one instance and we did not in another, um, just because there's just varying factors against each business, but we, well, yeah, it's, it was, uh, an interesting time. I, the other thing too, is that I, um, crisis really reveals a lot, mm-hmm. um, inside teams and, yeah. I, and I, my job and Shannon's job as kind of owners of these companies is to be a support role, to the CEOs or to the key leaders in those businesses and say, hey, your job is now and your job is to, you know, reassure people through this really hard time that we're going to get through it. And what can I do to serve you? What do you need from me? How can I help you? And um, that that was really just a good galvanizing moment for between an owner of a business and a, and a
1: really kind of a runner of a business. So. It's interesting to me because sometimes when you, you know, nobody knew it was going to happen back in March, but this is a good lesson to the file, right? Like you got a note to file. It's like, this could happen again. What do you do? And there were some businesses who needed to cut. It's like, oh my gosh, we have a week in the bank. If we don't cut, we're, we're dead by Friday kind of thing. Churches too that are operating on no margin, but you were a reasonably profitable businesses. You could have called it a very different way. What went into your decision-making or even that instinct that said, no, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to get lean immediately. Um,
0: I don't think we've ever been bloated uh, in terms of business. And I think that this was a great excuse for a lot of bloated organizations to do some cuts. Um, And I, and I recognize when I say that that that's people's lives and their jobs in some cases, you know, it's not all just, you know, marketing expense or whatever that there are jobs tied to that. So I'm not insensitive to that, but I, Let's just be honest. There are certain companies that were bloated on staffs. Mm -hmm. Um, That was not the case with our companies. We run pretty lean in general. Um, I've always believed if you have a successful business long term, um, it needs to generate a certain level of profit that you can enjoy year over year. And you can create predictability around your profit because ultimately, as a business owner, you pay tax on your profit. It has nothing to do with your revenue. So we've just said, like, you know, here's the as a business matures and it gets to a certain place. Here's what's non-negotiable is we'll, we'll enjoy a certain amount of profit and you will budget for that. And so when you back off on revenue, that means you have to account for the expense connected to it, which equals the profit that you expect. And um, it's not a fun exercise. I've been the recipient of having to slash P&Ls um, before. So I I, ha- I have some, quite a bit of sensitivity to how it affects staffs, but also how it affects the leaders that have to go through those decisions. Um. And then there's certain things too, like there's you know like hey the, you can you can cut X Y and Z, but this one thing don't touch it because it we know it's detrimental to the business if you do that. So there's it's it's really a surgical experience, you know, to, to go through it. It's not just a chainsaw and cut away. It's you know you're really making finite cuts to make sure that the 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 business isn't materially impacted long term.
1: Hmm. Why did you make the decision not to cut staff? right away because a lot of people did and and yeah. maybe a, underneath that is what did you realize wow if we if we cut that we're cutting into an artery like what would be an example of you know a wow that's a last thing we cut kind of thing in your businesses
0: yeah so the first part why we didn't cut staff was because we weren't bloated we have a lot of intentionality around each role in our companies and you really have to justify adding a role to our company or companies um, and there's a process that we've created that says this role is required or needed, <laughs> not this is a nice to have job. You know, it's so we're, I don't uh, we, we don't we work really hard not to run companies that are bloated with people. Um, so uh, I didn't have a worry there Wh- where I got concerned a little bit was some of the projections coming back. when We were looking at cuts. We're like, OK, well, we could. And it was a big unknown, right? It was like, okay, well, we could lose 10% of our business or we could lose 80% of our business. Mm. What, where do we land on that decision? <laughs> you know, um, and no one knew. And it was just a very tenuous time for, I'd say three weeks starting mid, or, well, about the time we went on our run. Uh, uh, about three weeks after that, I didn't sleep much because I didn't know where the, the, the floor was on this experience and how businesses would react. Because at Belay specifically, we work with a lot of smaller organizations. Yep. You know, them don't have the financial wherewithal to kind of weather a storm like that, whether they're for-profit or not. Um, but for me, I just, you know, we got to a place where we realized, we, okay, we think we've hit the basement of where we're at. Unfortunately, it wasn't as bad as what we thought. Um, but the people side of it for me... Just kind of like, well, we need to definitely do our very best to hold on to our team because if we do see our way through that, which we have, we want to come out of this stronger, and we want to we want to get market share through this, and we want to grow, and we want to accelerate. And so we had them do things like, you know, maybe their job was to do one thing. Well, maybe that job got paused because there was no work in that area. So they looked at a different part of the business and said, hey, for the next two months, can you do this inside Mm -hmm. our company? Or hey, we need to clean up these files, or we need to do this thing. We we It was really cool to watch everybody kind of jump in and do different things for a season of time until like their, their area or their department kind of got resurrected through the, the business growing again.
1: Here's here's an interesting question for you. And then I want to drill in to leading virtual teams and culture, which you've literally written a book on. And I know we talked about that before on the podcast, but all of a sudden it's like, you know, something that sounded like Star Trek to a lot of leaders two years ago uh, feels very much like today in leading virtual teams. But in your hiring process, Brian, um, you know, people sometimes talk about hiring the position or hiring a person. And I'd love to know, I lean toward hiring people. If I find a really good person, not to get a bloated staff or whatever, but it's like kind of hiring the person because then if that role shifts or like, for example, I have a travel coordinator that we hired through Belay, through you guys. And when my travel went away, I said to her, There's probably not going to be a whole lot of work here for you, you know, because the world shut down. But she's so great that I'm like, we're just going to find new things for you to do. And we did, and it was no problem. Do you want to speak into that, like hiring people versus hiring a position?
0: Yeah, so for me, um, where I'm hiring people would be where I'm looking for them to start a new company and they're leading a company. That's very important. You know, you got to really know at a molecular level, the people that are going to lead that thing beyond that point. Um, it really does become a positional thing. You have to, you really have to know that that position, regardless of the person or the characteristic, that position is going to add value to a company. You know, my job as an owner of a company is to create greater value from it. And I have to remain objective in that process to say like, Going to add value to this corporation, which means it's a position and does this create the ROI that's necessary for this thing to continue to thrive and grow and add value? So there is a point where people are obviously incredibly important in their personalities and all the things kind of wrapped up in who people are. But we don't look at this and go, oh, what a great person. Let's hire them. That Only we do that for who we see as a key leader that's going to run a corporation for us. We start that way. It, otherwise, it's like, okay, we have an obvious role. We have a very objective look at what that role will do to move the dial in this business. Now let's go find the right person. It's, it's a both ends in sense.
1: It's a good segue. I was going to go there a little bit later, but um, you have a pretty... Uh, I don't know the right adjective, but pretty robust hiring system. So uh, say a little bit about Belay, what you do um, for virtual staffing. And then you literally, like you get a boatload of applications every month of people who wanna work with your company and a ridiculously few people get through. And then you hire those people out as virtual assistants, virtual whatever. So give us the elevator pitch for your company and then tell us about your hiring process.
0: Yeah, so at Belay, what we find, it's really hard to find great people. And oftentimes, when a business owner is looking or a a key leader in a business, they're looking for people, they have what's limited to them in terms of them coming into an office or a geography, and we've completely altered that playing field. So we can bring in a really great, high-caliber person that's virtual that can come alongside a team or a person, and that's what we do at Belay. So we do that through four core services today, which is virtual assistants you know, a good executive assistant, if you will, a bookkeeper that can manage payroll, um, a website support person that manages your website. So you're not paying someone a hundred grand a year just to play solitaire. And then the fourth one is, um, our newest line, which is our social media strategist. So these are people that not only know how to execute on the, the, um, social media, but they also can create the strategy working with your team and embed in your team and kind of execute on the social media side. And, um, so those are the four practical ways. We we say the word belay, it's simply, it's a rock climbing term, which means that we're in a support role helping the climber as they climb higher. And it's, it's our job to serve them, to mitigate their risk, to hold the rope for them as they take that risk and they climb higher in their, in their
1: business. Cool. So talk to us about that hiring process. And yeah. how, so how many applications would you see in a typical month these days at belay?
0: Before COVID, we were about two thousand a month. Wow. Um, we're probably my guess is three thousand ish now
1: because of we're unemployment. in unemployment.
0: So we're out of work. You know, uh, it's just that, you know there's a lot of people hurting in our country right now. You know that that need good work and they're really qualified people. Um, and words got out too that we're a legitimate work from home job. You know, now I, I just read an article yesterday that said that half of the American workforce right now is working from home.
1: Yeah. And a lot of that isn't going back. I mean, that's a reset to the economy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So specific to the hiring process, um, without giving away our secret sauce, what I would tell you is that um, it starts with a robust talent acquisition process where we're looking at things that really matter to us that we've seen by paying stupid tax over 10 years that we don't want to repeat. And then we've refined that process, and so we're 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 asking questions, we're proposing scenarios, we're creating opportunities for them to think critically and demonstrate that back to us in a way that we know that they're competent, connected to being a virtual assistant. Or if you're a bookkeeper, you know, like there's certain scenarios we'll throw at a bookkeeper, and then we'll see how they respond. You know, or a website specialist or a social media strategist. So each one's got their own lane in terms of how they get qualified into our business. Um, and they all end up being, for us, um, 1099s or independent contractors. So they have to come to us with a certain level of experience and proficiency, even kind of to get through the gate of whether we'll interview them on video or not to start with. So it takes about a month right now for if you were a really great person qualified in our country and you had those experiences for you to literally just get through our process and to be offered an opportunity to join our team. And then from there, you might sit on our bench waiting for your client deployment for another two to three weeks. So it's it's because we don't just hope for the best and go, oh, well, you're the next available person. Good luck. Work with this person. It's nothing like that because it's a, really a solid match on both sides. It's what the client needs and really what that provider of work does as well. They have needs too that we want to make sure there's a good alignment in terms of personality and work requirement and hours worked and all that stuff that kind of gets matched up there.
1: What percentage of applicants actually get offered a position at Belay? It's like stupid small, isn't it?
0: It's actually easier to make it into Harvard than it would be to uh, get hired with us right now. And it's even more so the case percentage-wise. It's It's way less than 2%.
1: Yeah, yeah. So 98, 99% of the people who apply don't get in.
0: Yeah, and I, I know that, that if you're looking for a job right now, that might sound very discouraging. Um, but if you're, a, if you're a prospect of our business and you're considering a service like ours, that should be very encouraging.
1: Because mm-hmm.
0: we do we're able to pick the best of the best that represent us and then also our clients as well.
1: Well, and I found that too, as a user of your services, it's kind of like, okay, I don't have the time for search right now. We're moving pretty fast, but you've pre-vetted thousands of people. And when somebody pops up, it's like, we see this as a potential fit. It's kind of like you did all the hiring process for people. So it's pretty impressive. So, Yeah,
0: it has been something that's um, a long time in the making. It's a 10-year process that, you know, has now really kind of got to a place where we're really happy with it. And then it will go through iterations. You know, if we have more volume, it'll probably break our system. We'll have to fix it. You know, so uh, it's just very people intense. You are not buying robots. You know, we're literally artificial intelligence. We are literally working with people. And there's a lot of things we have to look through um, and and engage with them before they ever become a, a person that can represent our brand and work with one of our clients.
1: So you've got tens of thousands of leaders right now who are listening, who are in that hiring seat. So they haven't got three or 4,000 applications a month, but you know they're, they're looking to fill a position on their team. How would you coach them? What would you say they, like, what are a couple of things you're like, guys, nobody talks about this, but like pay attention to this. What would you say are some of the things, without giving away your secret sauce, uh, that you would say, I would tell everyone who's hiring to look at these things?
0: Yeah, well, as you look at kind of the suite of services we offer, um, I can speak pretty well at that. If you're like wanting to hire a, a CFO, yeah. I might not be able to be as clear on that. But I, I would tell you that, obviously, you've got to um, like the person you're working with. There's got to be a, a likability factor connected to that. But I think that long-term, you also want somebody, especially in now's day and age, you really want somebody that... Um, communicates responsiveness
1: what do you mean by uh, that communicates uh, like
0: you might have are. the you might have the greatest cfo on the planet on paper and wonderful experience but then it takes them 4 days to respond to you you know um or you might have the best assistant on paper that's worked with you know ceos all over the country but if they can't figure out how to respond quickly and thoroughly then what's the point You know, because I think responsiveness is becoming a bigger thing that um, businesses are looking for, especially now, and because you have to over communicate right now when everybody's working from home, there's no, gosh, I'll just run down to your office and talk to you about this anymore. You know, it's just, and I don't know when that's coming back to be honest.
1: Yeah. So if ever, so responsiveness and over
0: communication are things that we're looking for today more than ever before. And you're looking for those things, whether you even realize that or not. Um, and over-communication is massively important because I can't just assume that because I'm four feet away from you, you got it through osmosis. I have to know that you actually got it, which means on a leader and also with a new employee, you have to be willing to over-communicate. Small, short sentences, because that's just the way you are, doesn't work anymore.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Uh, do you think that is a skill or is that an aptitude? Like, is that is that something a person either has or doesn't? I Karen- think they, they,
0: yeah, that's a great question. I think it's, it's something they have to develop. Some people are naturally gifted at over-communicating and they're good communicators and they're responsive just naturally. And I think that other leaders, they just have to kind of grow into that. I really do. And it, if you want to be a great leader worth following, you know, think about it this way. Think about if you had a team of people and then you just were habitually late to respond to things. What does that say about you? Right? Yeah. I mean, think about that. You're when you don't respond, you're saying all the wrong things because they're going to fill in the blank waiting for your response. The responsiveness actually matters. And you can't have this ego of like, well, I'll just sit on this for a couple of days because I can not in this day and age, <laughs> you know, good luck running your business long term with that mindset. So I, I'd say, you know, it's it's incumbent on not only the employee, but also the leader to set the the tone for responsiveness, and to you know to, to be very serious about over communicating, because people are going to need that right now more than ever.
1: Oh, it's good. Anything else you would look for in hiring?
0: Um, when we look at hiring, we're we're looking as I shared with you earlier. We we create job descriptions that are really clear. Um, so we start with the role and making sure it's going to be the the ROI that we need from it. And it is, you know, we say it this way. We say, you're winning in your job and it looks like this, dot, dot. List out the things we think at that point in time are going to be what would be wins connected to the role. That way we know those wins equal ROI in our business. And having really crystal clear wins connected to each role gives you the ability to have an honest conversation with the candidate or candidates to say, can you help accomplish these wins? because this is going to be your measuring stick for success in our business. So I I think it goes back to how you set up your job descriptions that then you can have an honest conversation with candidates that are qualified to say, okay, we think today based on this role, maybe it's a new role, Carrie. And maybe it's one of those things where you say like, okay, we think this is it. And 90 days later, we're going to revisit it. Mm -hmm. Or it's been a role in your business that you've had for four years and you know, that thing's just fine. You could say with a lot of confidence that, Hey, this is what winning really looks like in this role because we've seen it now over and over again, right. you know, and then you have a more robust conversation about what it means for them. And what we found is a lot of candidates, um, especially like say pre COVID when the job market was so great and everybody had a job that really helped um, uh, attract the right people because they knew what the wins were connected to the role. If that makes sense.
1: So, yeah. That, that's say, a competitive overall, advantage, Right.
0: Yeah, yeah, full employment sure.
1: economy. So
0: overall, I'd say it's a couple things right now. It's three things. It's the responsiveness, of the willing, how responsive they are. Um, and there's a leader responsibility to that. How well are they willing to communicate and over-communicate? And then how, how will they win? And how are you going to communicate that they win? And can you have a robust conversation around that?
1: Oh, That's good. I want to talk about virtual teams because you have been doing this literally for a decade. I mean, I don't even think Zoom was around when you launched Belay. It was not. Yeah, it,
0: no. was, it was a really expensive WebEx. <laughs> I remember that WebEx. We, pay, we tried we tried Skype. You name it, we've
1: tried it. And then uh, I've, I've been using Zoom since it was in beta as well. And now the world got introduced to it in 2020. Yeah. Um, one of the things I've heard, you've heard it a thousand times over, is that virtual teams are weird. They don't really work. You have to that, have in person. Sure. You can't build culture And literally you wrote the book on that, but I want to revisit that because I think way more people are listening now than maybe a couple of years ago even. And most of these people are leading some kind of hybrid team who are listening. They got some people in the office, socially distanced. They've got some remote team members, but talk about the dynamics of leading a virtual team, Brian.
0: Yeah, so I'd say to all those naysayers pre-COVID, nana, nana, boo-boo. Uh, It's funny. You know, um, I totally get that mindset and I have plenty of friends with great businesses where the office was really an important part of it. And then you talk to them now post COVID or in the midst of COVID, if you will, I don't think we can say post yet, but you know, through the shock of it, at least a lot of them are admitted to me quietly that they don't even need their office anymore. And, um, and I, here's the thing. I don't think that I had one on people. I just realized that if we're going to sell a virtual service in our early days of this business, we had to act like that, which meant that we couldn't have an office. And that if on a sales call, if I had to come see somebody in the early innings of our business, I had to go see somebody to actually sell something, then I was defeating the purpose of our business.
1: Right. So you can't say you need a virtual assistant, but no, that doesn't work for us. Right.
0: Yeah. 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 You have to eat your own dog food or whatever whatever cliche you want to throw at it. And so for for me, it just became this thing of like, okay, well, we have to remain virtual. And one really big um, litmus test for us was about three years into our business. So this has been 2012, 2013. We felt like we had grown up enough with our business that we went to our 30 employees in Atlanta. And we said, hey, um, here's a survey. We're thinking about getting an office here in Atlanta. Um, and, and literally every single person said, we don't want an office. That's the whole reason why we came here is because you had a virtual thing and a really great company without an office. That's, we don't want an office. and So we're like, okay, well then we're going to figure this out for sure. Like it wasn't just because we had matured to a certain point. We needed an office. We were like, we can make this thing happen without an office. Hmm. So literally from 2010 till now, we've never had an office ever. Um, I mean, I'm, We're talking from my home office, which is at my house, which is your home. Yeah. Yeah. We do meet face to face, but we rent jar, you know, large um, hotels. Well, not right now, but you know, when we could.
1: Yeah. You'll rent a ballroom, a meeting room. You'll go to a restaurant, whatever
0: we work or some, you know, comparable thing like that or restaurant. Um, but we, we just never had an office. And here's what I came to realize through that experience is that culture is not an actual office. Culture is not physical location culture is shared vision. And now that's what everybody else is starting to see is okay, what did the hearts of our employees line around? We don't have an office anymore. We don't have the cool ping pong table or the beer fridge or whatever that cool thing was that they had for perks for actually coming to an office or a really great conference table. You know what was the thing or my awesome cubicle said no one, you know. <laughs> um it was—they're realizing that the physical space wasn't what attracted people to their business. It was shared vision. It's the shared chase after a dream of what this business could be. And now leaders are having to go back and say, "Oh wow, this office was actually for my ego," or "Wow, this thing really had to be here because I thought this is the way people gathered together around an idea." Um, and they're realizing, and I've just, I've had so many confidential conversations about how do I get out of my lease? What do I do here? How am I going to communicate to my team? We're going all virtual or we're going to send most people home. Like I, it's a lot of conversation mm-hmm. and it's, and it's been one of those cool things of like, Hey, I don't, I'm not the expert. I'm only a few years ahead of you, you know, and here's what I've seen. And here's the migration path for how you do that. And here's how I've seen other companies do it. It's been a. It's actually been a really great joy to help see business owners, especially, get relief from actually losing their office and the cost connected to it. You know, a profitable company is a healthy company in a lot of instances, and so a lot of their costs connected to their or connected against their profit was office cost.
1: Hmm.
0: So that's that's been actually quite a joy to see.
1: When you think about the future workforce, do you think that there is you know, even pre-COVID, I'm sure, but post or, you know, whatever, in the new world, that being able to offer flexible work arrangements, even if it's flexible hours, if you do have an office or remote work becomes a competitive advantage. Can you speak into that a little bit?
0: I think um, for employers now, more than ever before, employers are going to be dealing with situation where employees were forced to go work from home and they figured it out. And and I'll let you in on a little secret. Most of them still like it. Yeah. You know the, the extreme introvert wants to go back and work in or excuse me, the extreme extrovert wants to go back and work in an office. Or the 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 business owner who is funding the office is now empty wants everybody to go back to it. But a lot of people want to work from home. Mm-hmm. That is survey after survey that I'm seeing shows that. Now, a lot of people are actually enjoying the benefits of working from home and the really frankly for a lot of them are being treated like adults for the first time in the sense of hey I trust you to get the result at home hey I expect this result from you and I can't see you that's what's happening and I know that that's how it's it's transferring the connection of employee with employer because of that so I'd say to employers or to business owners right now or or, or nonprofits or you know senior leaders in churches Right now, more than ever before, you're going to have people that there is an expectation they're not coming back to your office. And new people you want to hire want to at least work from home 50%, if not more. Like you you just if you think that we're going back to the way we were based on every survey I'm seeing, not just one guy's opinion that wrote a book. I'm telling you from the surveys, people want to work from home. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Could be commute. Commute could be a soul sucking experience for people. Um, it could be that they need flexibility with kids. They may have an aging parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, they not just they may not enjoy the office
1: experience. You It'll know, be like the, you and me, we just love working out of our homes. Like yeah,
0: yeah, you're comfortable there. You can produce the result. You're not distracted. And so there's there's a lot of reasons why now the more that before, people are discovering what it means to work from home, and a lot of people are just enjoying it.
1: What are some principles for the leaders who are now leading hybrid or completely virtual teams? What are some of the best practices, the non-negotiables? That's like, hey, if you want a high-functioning team, here's some things you could do uh, that'll really, really help.
0: I think I think it starts with leadership, and I think that um, the expectation on your team starts with how you communicate what you value as a leader, and that a lot of that's done through how you operate as a leader. Mm -hmm. So, for example. We've, we've learned really early on that you need to communicate the why more than the what. This is why this role is important. This is why the thing you do every day is important. This is the why. And so when you're not there, which you're not literally because you're not with them working, if they know the why all the more, they can fill in the blank when you're not around. And, it's, and I know that that's probably a principle that's obvious, but in a virtual work environment, your employees need to know the why all the more. Um, it might be, hey, here's why this task is important. Here's why this meeting is important. It can, mm. it can get to the granular level. You need to communicate the why connected to so they can really understand it. Because they're not, you, you know, they just can't walk over to your office and ask you anymore. Right. right. Uh, so the why in circling around is very important. Another thing that I would say is that, especially for leaders, is delegating a result, not the task. Mm. If Think about how um, cuckoo that would be right now if you had to like literally work with somebody and tell them the step-by-step things for every single thing they have to do working from home. It just, you can't, do right? So you have to find a level of group or a group of people with a competency that can say, here's the result that is expected. Get after it. And If you have any questions, I'm here for you. And instead of just being this micromanager, that's like, okay, you do it this next, and you do it this way. And you do it this way. Those days of micromanagement are almost over. In that in that sense, I don't think that you can micromanage people enough in their first ninety days of employment. That's just leading. You know, you have to teach people how right. to do their role. But after that, it's really okay. Here's the results ex- expected of you. So you're an adult.
1: I, go figure it out. Right.
0: Yeah. And then there's the obvious things that are just going to need to be there. Right. You're going to have to provide for high speed access. You're going to have to have a great machine. You're going to have to have the ability to communicate. And that your office is a place that's not distracting. You know, um, you got lighting and you understand that, you know, you don't have a giant window behind you. And it looks like you're dialing in from heaven. <laughs> you know? All these things you kind of have to work together, especially for a lot of people that are going home for the first time, They're figuring this stuff out.
1: I, I quote you on this all the time, but uh, one of my favorite lines from uh, virtual work culture is simply this, that uh, remote workers aren't lazy. Lazy workers are lazy. Do you want to speak yeah. into that a little bit? Because that, yeah. that is that idea like, well, Brian, if I can't see you and, you know, I don't have a camera in your house, like, how do I know you're actually working? And yeah. there's that fear that a lot of people have, like, I can only manage what I see. Uh, do yeah. you want to speak into that a little bit?
0: Oh, I'd love to. Uh, that's an old holdout from the uh, industrial age. The idea was is that you you know, you know had this manufacturing plant, and on the floor you had your workers, and then you put managers around them. And the idea was that if I can see you, I can control you. And then you look at today's corporate office environment. You put everybody in cubicles, and you put managers on the outside walls around them. And so we designed a work environment that is the same thing as a manufacturing plant when Henry Ford was building Model Ts. Yep. So guess what? COVID comes along and completely busts that up and says... Um, you know that is completely not a relevant thing anymore, and so I have to trust people when I can't see them. You, you, you—literally, in some instances, overnight. You know, say January of 2020. You're like, if I can't see you, I can't control you. You're lazy because you want to work from home. So now I'm trusting you to produce a result that benefits our business, and I may not see you for another three months. You know, it's.
1: That's huge.
0: Significant. And then halfway through that, a lot of business owners are realizing, wow, I really don't need that old manufacturing plant anymore to produce my work or to produce the result that's expected. It's it's a really interesting time.
1: It is a really interesting time. And I've found that, you know, having led teams for 25 years, my remote team that I've led for five years probably is the best motivated, highest producing team I've ever led, which is really really fascinating because when you treat people like, and it's not that the other teams were terrible and I've probably gotten better as a leader as well, hopefully over the last few years. So I'm not, not throwing any other teams under the bus. But what I am saying is I'm surprised how much you can accomplish with, with a remote team. Any other best practices? Um, what about defaulting to video? You taught me that and it's something we practice on our team on a regular basis. Do you want to talk about the importance of video?
0: before I do that let me let me touch on one thing about the laziness factor I yeah. think that that's an old-school dogma that was created by business owners to justify having their office I truly do uh-huh because and then if they're lazy then that's your fault as a leader you, you hired, know so I, I don't know I've always struggled with that one because we have hard-working people at belay and in my other companies and a lot of them high percentage of the 90s were from home. And I've never seen laziness as a trait.
1: Hmm.
0: I think it starts with the leader. And, they, and that, so that, that has always rubbed me the wrong way. So thank you for letting me get that off.
1: <laughs> it's such a great point, Brian. That's why I wanted to go there. And I do hear that. It's like, well, how do I know? I'm like, well, then maybe you just hired a lazy person. And you can be, listen, there's no problem being lazy in the office. We've all met lazy office workers <laughs> exactly. who, who haven't done a thing all day, but they've been there for eight hours, right? Yeah, just
0: watch The Office Space. You know <laughs> That's a great movie for demonstrating that. What uh-huh. would you say you do here all day?
1: <laughs> uh, talk about video, the importance of video. We're all zoomed out. We get that, but it's a moment yeah. in time. Uh, how do you handle video?
0: I think, um, well, for us at Belay, it's not optional. Like you you must be on screen. Um and off mute. Um, that's very important. Now if you're in a meeting like you know, we have an all company wide meeting at Ballet and there's a hundred employees on it you'll be on screen but you will be on, you'll be on mute because of just the
1: so can you many people. explain why those two things so just just so everybody I think we've all been on Zoom by now but you know it's pretty easy you can turn off your video you can turn off and people do that routinely but you're like and I have the same rules in my company it's like no if we're in a meeting your yeah. screen's on and if you get a little bit of background noise you can mute but like nobody's doing email like you are you are fully in and you're fully present. Do you want to talk about why that's a non negotiable for you?
0: Sure. I think you said it well, but you know, imagine if you and I were to go have a cup of coffee together. And I just said, Hey, hold on one quick second. And then I dropped a sheet down between the middle of us where you couldn't see me, but we were having that meeting. Like you would that would be unacceptable, right? Well, somehow we'd let people do that on Zoom. You know,
1: like
0: I'm just going to not be here and I'm going to get the credit for being here and you're not going to see me while I, you know, check my Instagram account or, you know, full laundry or whatever the thing is you might be doing. Right. And so that to me communicates I'm not present. And so we just made a decision several years ago that if you're on a Zoom call, you're present. I can see you, you you know, unless there's like something obvious, like maybe a kid needs a Band-Aid or, you know, there's some. You know, you know, maybe uh, your husband's walking by naked behind you or something like there's a good reason for it. Otherwise, you're present and ready to go and part of the meeting. Um, and then on, with regard to the mute thing, mute is the devil when it comes to communication, especially on Zoom, because it it, it stymies robust conversation. And I'd say that that's true of about 10 to 12 people on a, on a, on a Zoom call. Um, collaboration, you can kind of, Today, with the technologies there, you, there's it's, it creates such a lively conversation. And if, if someone says something and you have to go off mute, you're you're less apt to say it or you'll be like, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Versus contributing to it as a leader or contributing to it as an employee because you have a, a very important thought or you want to contribute to the conversation. So we've just made it clear. And gosh, it's really been a wonderful thing. Um, you know, hey, when you're on a Zoom call in our company, we see you and you're off mute. It's just not negotiable.
1: And do you think you can undo that? If someone, I I bet there's a bunch of listeners uh, listening right now who are like, "Uh uh-oh, we have a bad culture in that respect. Any advice for them?
0: I don't think they've had a bad culture. I think it's just you you can retrain people for what's expected. I mean, everybody wants a present employee. Every employee wants a present leader, right? And so those are two easy ways to fix that. If you feel like you're not getting engagement on your Zoom calls, Maybe ask them to show up on video, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or get off the mute. You know, uh, the other thing, too, that I, I find fascinating is that there's an element of me sharing my house with you that you don't see otherwise if I just come into the office every day. If like there's an element of who I am in my house that translates to your connectivity and your, your, your depth of relationship with your business coworker because you can see and peer into their home, even just a little bit, not the whole house, but, you know, there's just an element of that. I think that's really special. And I've had, I've, I've been told this by several people is that they actually feel like right now during COVID, they're actually meaningfully connecting deeper with their coworkers because of that element. And because they're not all done up, they're not all gussied up and they don't have all their makeup on. And, you know, they're coming to work professional on screen, but they're not they're just more human. They got the sniffles. Yeah, your
1: dry or, cleaning bill drops significantly <laughs> with yeah, COVID, yeah. right?
0: Or your cat walks behind you. You're you're showing them a piece of who you are, in some way, shape, or form. So there's an authenticity element to this that I'm fascinated by.
1: Yeah, Patrick Lencioni, who was recently on the podcast, said exactly the same thing. So for the record, and he was very public with this, he was opposed to remote teams and. Oh, yeah. The whole deal. And now is like, whoa, I was totally wrong about that. And he said they're more personal because people are in their homes. Yeah. Do you have any guidelines, um, whether that is with your staff, which is probably pushing a hundred people right now, or all of the the workforce that you have at Belay um, for, you talked about like computer lights, camera, that kind of thing, right? So you got to have decent technology, but any guidelines on home offices, like what are some minimal viable criteria or distraction-free workplaces? Any thoughts on that or best practices?
0: Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, beyond the tech element, which is obviously highly important, um, is having a dedicated workspace. You know, Mm. probably the place where you write your checks with your checkbook is not going to be the place where you need to actually have a conversation. And to, you know, to collaborate with team members, you need a, you know, 50 to hundred square feet somewhere in your house to do that. You know, and that's one thing that I hear with leaders is like, they're realizing that a lot of people had this in their house already. That was already square foot that, you know, they don't have to go get for an actual physical office anymore because they realized in these homes, there's 50 to hundred square feet already. And so I'd say it's, you need to have a dedicated office space. You need to have it. When you walk into it, you need to feel like you're productive, you know? So you shouldn't have like your gym socks on the floor or, you know, that big bottle of, you know, whiskey over there, you know, like you just <laughs> make it a room that you feel like I can be productive in it. Yeah. You know, good lighting, you know, daylight's very important um, for productivity. There's a lot of surveys around daylight and how it increases productivity for employees. Um, you know, sound actually matters you know if you're if you're in a basement and it travels or it echoes that's going to show up on the screen like we talked about the window but you know there there is very important things in terms of like where your camera is connected to it and then we i've seen a lot of parents um do this which i, I love is that they kind of created a, a board on the outside of their door that says okay when it's green you can come in and interrupt me when it's yellow um it better be really serious that you talk to me about something. And red is I'm on a call or I'm on a web call. Do not distract me. Yeah. And so they put there, you know, there's just really practical things like that. I've seen parents do, um, that just
1: really kind of help create a good sound work environment from home. Hmm. That's good, man. Oh man. I, I can't believe how the time is flying, Brian. And, uh, Any other thoughts on virtual teams? I had so many other places we want to go, but uh, that's why we'll have to have you back, as always. Um, Any other thoughts for leaders as we move into this new era? Because one of my hearts behind this interview was to get them ready to really lead their teams into the future.
0: I'd say, you know, being a good steward of your organization or the leadership position that you've been entrusted with has a lot to do with how you're working with your employees right now in this mess. And it has a lot to do with where they work in general. And so you can reactively um, deal with COVID and what it means, or you can proactively get after this and say, what is this saying about my workforce? What is this saying about where we operate and how we are productive? What is this saying about me and my leaders in terms of how they're communicating and and really looking at it and saying, okay, how can we emerge stronger out of this experience versus just reacting to it, hoping we get through it. Um, Because I really do. I honestly believe this, that this has fundamentally changed the way people will operate from a business standpoint. I really do. And and in terms of office space, one of the worst jobs you can have right now is a commercial real estate broker. Sorry. If you are (laughs)
1: sorry for them, I hear you,
0: you know, but you're you're going to be ne- negotiating leases for 50% what you thought, and you're going to have a lot of people jump in their leases. And there's just a lot going at the commercial real estate space, I think. I've already, we've already seen evidence of it in Atlanta. Um, but all that said, I think that you can look at this as a leader and, or, and just say, okay, how can I convert this reactive approach maybe I've been postured with because this thing kind of came out of nowhere to how can I proactively, dynamically, wonderfully make my team that much more productive and connected against what we're doing? And how can I align their heart towards the mission of this business or the values of this business versus just thinking it's some office that they get to come to every day?
1: So I'm with you 100% on the fundamental change to the culture. But every almost every day on social media or via email or in some some way, I hear some variation of this. Um, Hey, really appreciate all your thoughts about the future. But as soon as this COVID thing is done and the risk is gone, like we're just going back to the in-person office and we're going back to in-person church and we're going Mm -hmm. back to the way it used to be. So thanks for all your polite little views, Brian. We like you. We don't dislike you, but like not listening to you because it's going back to normal. What would you say to that leader? What is the cautionary tale you would say now?
0: I would say that is great that you have that perspective everybody else has a differing opinion on that um i i know because i have been pulled into conversations with corporations where their leaders have said when this stuff blows over get your butts back to the office yeah and you know what those people are doing they're going to go and they're going to resent that and they're going to be looking for somewhere else to work and and here's the thing. Like, I think, honestly, as a business owner, don't you want people that are connected to what you're doing and are productive because they're connected to the heart of the organization? I mean, it, you can have that now more than ever before by just showing them, I trust you, go work from home. Hmm. And I and I think that um, that's going to be missed. I think there are going to be some leaders that are going to really shoot themselves in the foot because they're going to insist that they come back to an office because they've spent all this money on this office space and they've created and justified every reason why they have to have an office and they're going to force people to come back to it. And they're going to go back to that soul sucking commute. They're going to go back to a place where they feel like they're being controlled and not trusted. And it's, and they're going to leave because for the last three months plus they've been able to work from home and they like it. And, um, you know, they may have missed the camaraderie a little bit. They may have missed like that lunch hour get together or the office, you know, like the, the office party or whatever that thing might be. But for the most part, they've really enjoyed working from home. And I think that leaders really need to. And I'm I'm seeing this like I like this is not theory. I'm literally getting pulled into conversations of, oh, my gosh, I think oh, you're going to have to abandon our office. Our employees are telling us they love it too much. So you're putting your head in the sand. To not address this. Now, I do believe that it might be a hybrid. I do think that there's certain instances where you actually, there's certain roles have to come into an office. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't know what those would be, but I know that they're there. I, th- I think that, you know, you're still going to have to come into an office for meetings and, you know, certain things where you're collaborating. I think there's legitimate reasons why people will still want to come together face to face.
1: But it's also uh, possible like virtual businesses work. You run one, I run one. Yeah. Like we're both, for those of you watching, we're both at world headquarters, my basement yeah. and the <laughs> upper floor of uh, the outbuilding at your place, yeah. right? That's right.
0: Yeah, yeah it's completely possible. I just, um, I just encourage leaders that are kind of like, hey, let's get everybody back together to just take one second and survey their team at least. Hey, honestly, tell me, team, what are you thinking right now? And I think they're going to be surprised by the result if they honestly look at that data.
1: Well, Brian, you've helped a lot of leaders today. Um, people probably want to learn more. So it's belaysolutions, right.com. Dot com.
0: Belaysolutions.com. And that's the best place to learn about our services. Um, separate from that, uh, my wife and I created an organization to help business owners own their companies, not run them. And that's at own dot com. And I'm pretty active on uh, Instagram currently.
1: You are? Um, Brian Miles. So, um, yeah. On it with a Y. why. And uh, if you're in the Atlanta area, tell them about Nofo Bruco.
0: Oh yeah, so we we created this awesome brewery uh, on the north side of Atlanta called Nofo Bruco. And uh, if you're ever around, please uh, come on in and grab a beverage. Uh, we're really proud of that experience. We create a really unique environment for the folks that live in this area with really great tasting beers.
1: There you go. All right. Well, we'll do it again because, uh, yeah, I can't believe we filled the full hour just on virtual teams and catching up. (laughs) But uh, as always, what's that?
0: It's pretty relevant right now.
1: It's very relevant. Brian, you helped a lot of leaders. Thank you so, so much and uh, really appreciate you.
0: Thank you, Carrie, for the opportunity. I appreciate you very much too.
1: Well, if that's your first introduction to Brian Miles, you're probably really glad you had it. We covered so much, and I've learned so much from Brian and Shannon, so much from Belay and uh, remember they've got a special offer for you so if you just text my name carrie to 31996 you'll get your free download of things to delegate to save 15 hours this week what i'm thinking about is coming up in a few minutes i'm going to talk more about team dynamics and five reasons why your team doesn't crush their goals and a little bit about what to do about it and uh, in the meantime if you want more we have show notes so Uh, Sometimes thousands of you access the show notes and that's awesome because we give you free transcripts and insights and quotes and that kind of thing. You can find it all at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 360. And we got some uh, really exciting things coming up. Man, uh, we've taken a lot of the shows that we had planned for the spring. We played them this summer. We got a few more coming up. Kathy Heller, uh, Gordon McDonald, Warren Byrd and Jim Tomberlin, Angela Santamero, Danielle Strickland is coming up, and many more. And next episode, one that I recorded a while ago, Adrian Gostick. A lot of leaders struggle with praising their teams. And that, says New York Times bestselling author and leadership consultant Adrian Gostick, is a mistake. So here, if you're interested in employee engagement, here's an excerpt from the next episode. And we're able now, she says, to replicate 60% of our pre-pandemic revenue, which is unheard of. And she said, before, we never did more than $6,000 a week in takeout, we're now doing $60,000, 10X, over the last two months, by getting my people involved and getting them excited. So it's terrific, she said, you know, when the bartender and the the busboys know how much we're making every week and what we can do to improve things, she says, then you've got an engaged group. So that's coming up next time. And that is a really nice segue into what I'm thinking about. And I am thinking about, as I reflect on 25 years of leading teams why sometimes we don't really get results. Um, why why does your team not crush their goals? Now, sometimes in the church world, that becomes a real problem because, uh, well, we're not very good at accountability. So this segment is brought to you by my brand new course called Lead a Better Team. And you can check it out. It's at introductory pricing. It's called Lead a Better Team. You can get it at leadabetterteam.com. So, um, you know, heading into the fall, Getting your team to really perform is going to be critical and a lot of bosses struggle with it. It's not just the church world. I mean, anybody who's a fan of The Office, and I'm a huge fan, knows that, yeah, productivity can be hard at times. So I want to give you five reasons why it's really hard for your team to crush their goals. So reason number one, um, sometimes it's because you don't have a very clear sense of mission, vision, or set of values. Now, part of the challenge with that, of course, is you're like, well, we had everything all clear. Uh, And now it all blew up. But yeah, you've still got a mission, right? You got a mission. So the mission at our church is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And the vision is to create a church on church people love to attend. Well, guess what? COVID didn't change that. It didn't at all. And one of the best things you can do as a leader is elevate your mission, your vision, your set of values. I have a set of values in the company that I lead that brings you this podcast we revisit them on a regular basis. And I'll say to people, how are we erring on the side of generosity today? How are we serving first? How are we surprising? And amazing. Like that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to surprise and amaze. And, um, you know, or how are we living in a way today that will help us thrive tomorrow by pursuing health? So, those are some of our values. And those are really good things to go back to. They are highly motivating. They're actually more highly motivating than a paycheck. So, focus on your mission, vision, and values. Okay. Second reason your team doesn't crush their goals. You don't have a clear strategy now that did get messed up by covid maybe your strategy was let's gather people on the weekend or let's gather everybody on the weekend so one of the best things you can do is just clarify your strategy and as andy stanley and others have said you know you may not have certainty but you can have clarity and you can say okay based on what we know here's what we're going to do heading into the fall so clarify your strategy you know for myself uh, i had uh, well a full year of speaking i usually last year i think i flew 150,000 miles uh obviously covid changed that but i'm like that's okay we're, we're just going to pivot to be a 100% digital company because our mission isn't to get on airplanes our mission is to help people thrive in life and leadership and so our strategy is now going to be digital and we focused on the podcast and you guys like i said earlier in the episode i mean here we are 4 months 5 months into covid and like We have the biggest audience we've ever had. We've just doubled down on our strategy. Okay, so make that clear. Let people know because that is highly motivating to a team. Uh, Number three, you don't have a clear goal. Once you decide how you're going to accomplish your mission, you need to decide, okay, what is our goal? It should be very specific. So what you might want to say is, for example, okay, what we're going to do, we can't meet in person. And let's just say like half of churches aren't meeting in person right now. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to increase our local reach by 20% by November 1st. Okay, so just set a really clear goal. Or maybe it's like to grow your email list. I know I'm, I'm banging a drum that nobody cares about. But I'll tell you, your email list is gold. And it's like, we're going to grow our email list by... 500 names by such and such a date. So create a really clear goal and that can be incredibly motivating for your team. And then the other thing I would say is, and, and I had to learn this the hard way in leadership, uh, stop focusing on leg measures, start focusing on lead measures. So leg measures is what we all pay attention to. In church world, it's attendance and giving. Uh, in business, it could be sales or number of customers or client satisfaction, that kind of thing. And, you know, the problem with, with lag measures is you can't do anything about it. Like if yesterday's attendance was 500 people, it's like, okay, well that was yesterday. Like I can't fix that. So sometimes it gets very demotivating for a team when all you do is say, we're not growing fast enough, or we haven't got enough money or, or, you know, we haven't got enough clients. We haven't got this, we haven't got that. It's like, I can't do anything. So instead focus on what you can do to change that. Well, let's focus on number of first time guests right? You've heard me talk about that before. If you're a regular visitor, like I I didn't realize this, but you need as many in, in, you know, a church attendance world where people are attending in person, as many first-time guests as you have regular attenders to be growing or breaking even. So maybe it's like, we're going to really double down on first-time guests. Or you might say, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to create some new things that would get people to subscribe to our email list. Or we're going to change our strategy in the chat. Uh, this week. And we're going to try to ask a different series of questions and see if people engage and maybe we get more subscribers that way. So you focus on things you can do, not history that happened. And of course, you've got to still track attendance and giving and all that stuff, but you know, away you go. And then finally, you don't have regular accountability set up. So two of the worst phrases you can um, utter as a boss are when someone misses a goal, oh, that's okay. It's like, well, you know, attendance wasn't where we wanted it to be or online engagement wasn't where we wanted it to be. And you know what we say all the time? We say, oh, that's okay, don't worry, we'll get it next time. It's like, eh, no, if you set a goal, you got to hold people accountable. It's not okay. You miss the deadline and we have to stop pretending that that's okay. It's not okay. You can say, you know what, I really appreciate you. I really appreciate all your efforts, but we didn't hit the goal, did we? Okay, so what are we going to do differently moving forward Uh, and what are we going to do by next Sunday, by next week, by next month to change the trajectory? So that's just accountability. You don't have to be mad. You don't have to scream at people, but you just have to say, you missed it, and that's not cool. Okay, so we're going to fix that. And, And I've got more and lead a better team on exactly how to do that. You know the other thing that happens a lot in church world, but also in business, is when people miss a metric, here's what the boss says. that's nah, not a mistake. The boss said nothing, right? Silence, silence. It's like, oh, I'm just going to let this go. Don't let it go. If you actually care about results, do not let it go. Now, this is super complicated. And if you want more, you can learn a lot more at Lead a Better Team, where I give you a lot more on the solution side of this. Uh, but I struggled this for a long time. And I thought, I thought even in the church, like, well, you can't really hold people accountable. Actually, you can. So, If you're interested in deepening employee engagement, improving your culture, and moving to results-based leadership, as well as figuring out some best practices for leading a hybrid team of remote people and in-person people, make sure you check out Lead a Better Team. Maybe you don't need a new team. Maybe you just need a better one. You ever feel like, hey, I just got to fire everybody and start over again? Uh, Before you just get frustrated over that, check out leadabetterteam.com where you can learn a lot more. I'd love to come alongside you in my brand new course. And uh, guys, thanks so much for listening. This has been such a joy to be with you. Thank you for making the podcast all it is. We are so excited about the season that's coming up. And our commitment is to simply help you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership
0: Podcast.